Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I wasn't actually very successful when I was younger on the bike. I wasn't really that successful in school, but what I did do was work really hard and kept going and kept going and it did pay off. So mm. things don't just get handed to people on a plate. You have to work for things and, you know, face these knockbacks. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Beautiful Lives, the podcast in which I, Madeleine Spencer, invite a guest to share some of the challenges they face and triumphs they've enjoyed during their life, as well as touching on the relationship between their inner and outer self and where beauty memories and rituals have had an impact. Today I'm joined by the road and track cyclist Danny Rowe MBE who has thrice been a world champion and who took home gold at the Olympics in 2012. In the episode, we talk about how Danny motivated herself when facing rejection, how she overcame stage fright by focusing on controlling only the controllable, the power of listening to Eminem's Lose Yourself before cycling at the Olympics, how image is still linked to income in sport for women, the rules of etiquette when meeting the Queen, and a host of other things, including Danny's all-time favourite mascara. Here's Danny. So, born in Hampshire, yep. 1990. Yep. Dad is a bi-athlete, yes. so he competed twice in the Winter Olympics. Yeah, 84 and 88. He was actually in the army and then got recruited kind of into skiing. He actually thought it was a kind of downhill ski trip, but then when he went, it turned out to be biathlon. Um, he was really good at it. And then, yeah, went to two Am Olympic I right in thinking that's shooting and skiing? Cross-country skiing and shooting, yeah. That seems so. like such a random mix, <laughs> like one skill doesn't feed into the other. Yeah, why would you ski uphill? But yeah. basically it's one of the hardest sports out there because essentially your heart rate is super high when you're skiing and then you've got to get it down as fast as possible to then be able to shoot with as much accuracy as, as possible, essentially. Wow. So you've got to be super fit, but obviously had good genes. So was fitness something that was really important when you were young in your household? Um, not necessarily fitness, but I think it was just kind of physical activity. We were always really active as a family. Um, I've got a younger sister, Sarah, who's two years younger than me. And I just remember not so much competitive sport, but we were just always kind of walking or out on bikes or doing activities. Mm. I remember going to some like athletics competitions to watch my dad, but it was never kind of something that was forced upon us. But I think through being so active when we were younger was just kind of, or created my love of sport. I remember in school, I was I did everything from ballroom and line dancing to basketball, football, swimming, running, you name it, I've done it kind of thing. But again, never forced into anything specifically, just kind of I guess encouraged to be fit and active and yeah, it all went from there. Were you naturally competitive? Very. So you um, said you weren't competitive as a family, but I'm wondering if in you you wanted yeah, to be Yeah, I guess we were competitive as a family in terms of kind of nice competitiveness, but mm-hmm. as in I was never pushed into sport. Um, and felt that I had to win or I didn't feel I had to be competitive but it was almost a natural um, yeah I guess trait that I had Mm -hmm. and I always want to win everything even now even if it's you know Monopoly at Christmas. What happens if you lose? 
Um, I'm not really a sore loser. Okay. Yeah, I can take it. <laughs> I don't like it, but I can take it. I don't go off in a half if I don't win Monopoly. Um, but again, just... I guess it's always been um, important for myself and my sister to do our best. And I think that was the message that my parents tried to give to us with anything that we were doing. And if you've done your best, kind of, you had to be proud of wherever you got to on that journey of whatever it might be. To me, it sounds like you were quite happy in your body. Yeah, I think it's right to say I was. I think I was always naturally slim. I never really had a problem with feeling overweight at all Um, I didn't really ever have hips I don't really have them now I am conscious about it I'm more conscious now Mm. I'm not cycling because I think purely through the amount of activity I was doing meant that I could essentially eat what I wanted Mm -hmm. and I remained in a body that I was happy in Mm -hmm. Um, but there's a difference between having a body that is limber and comfortable and not even necessarily thinking about the way it looks to you or to other people but when you're exercising and when you're moving a lot, your body feels good. It feels like a place it's nice to be. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. And actually, I've only realised that again in the last year where I haven't been riding. And I think I took it for granted because I've always felt so good and healthy. And I think that's kind of the message I'm trying to get across to people now in terms of how beneficial you know, physical exercise is for mm-hmm. your mind and your body. And that you're almost missing out if you haven't felt fit because it's yeah. such a nice you know, position or place to be in. Yeah. you do feel good, you've got more energy. And for me, I'm happier. Did you feel that that took away from other teenage things? And was, the sh- was there any conflict there? Um, yeah, I think there must have been conflict at some point. But again, I was so determined to do well in sport. But also, I had a really good group of friends in school. And I also invested in my friendships a lot. Mm-hmm. I've always been someone to invest in relationships from a young age. So, for example, when I moved to Manchester and I left my friends in in Hamble in Southampton, I was the one that always would contact them when I was home to arrange to meet up again because I felt that it was kind of my fault for moving away. So it was my... Why did you move away? So I had to move to Manchester to be part of the British cycling team. They were based in Manchester. This was a a few years after, um, kind of straight after college. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think I had a really good balance. Again, I would still go out with my friends. I remember going clubbing. Um, I remember going to parties. Mm-hmm. But I think I just made it all work. And again, there were hard times. I remember I had to leave prom early because I had um, a cycling training camp. Mm-hmm. And again, it's really hard to balance those sort of things when you're younger. Do you feel it kept you slightly on the straight and narrow? Because, for example a lot of teenagers dabble with a lot of drinking and drugs and things like that yeah for sure and don't get me wrong I wasn't an angel and I did drink when I was younger but Mm. drugs is something that I've never done never will do because I don't feel like I missed out at all obviously Mm. we get drugs tested um and even from a really young age it was never even on my radar to be Mm. honest but back to your question yeah I do think it did keep me on the straight and narrow because essentially sport was sort of everything for me you know, from the age of about 14 when I kind of got identified as having talent in in cycling and thought, oh, this could be something where I could make my dream of becoming world and Olympic champion. What was that journey like between 14 and being spotted and 21 and winning gold? I think Mm -hmm. a lot of people think with sports people who make it that it's kind of all kind of an upward trajectory and it's just all, you know, amazing and it's a great ride and 
for me, it was actually really hard. So initially I got identified as having sprint talent on the bike and I had a year of basically getting my head kicked in. It was horrible. And then they put me onto the endurance program, but consequently, because I'd only ever sprinted for that year before, I was actually rubbish at that as well. So they kicked me off the program and said, you know, you're not gonna make it, you're not good enough. I applied for the academy two years in a row. So British Cycling have a pyramid tier system leading up to the podium program where ultimately you get selected for the Olympics. So the academy is the program before the podium and you have to apply. And I got told two years in a row, you're not good enough, you know, you're never gonna make it. And I remember getting the letter that said you hadn't made it onto the academy. This was the second year, so my last chance. And I was just crying and crying. I thought my world had ended. And I remember my parents saying, you know, if you want to keep going at this, we'll support you. And I guess I had something inside of me that thought, I'm not going to give up. This is what I want to do. And I was lucky enough to have a local business who sponsored me, a building company. And they bought me my first bike, Mm -hmm. uh, a racing bike. We were always given bikes through the program. But again, Mm -hmm. my bikes would have been taken off me. And then another setback I had in 2008, 10 where I had glandular fever and that was another kind of time where I thought oh I don't know whether I'm gonna make it you know I went from training six days a week to not being able to walk up the stairs without getting out of breath but again kept going and I managed to recover from that and I had about six weeks to the national championships which was essentially a race where you could go head to head with the other girls who were on the program Mm -hmm. try and fight my way back in that was probably the last chance I was going to get in the lead up to London Olympics and I remember kind of training like crazy three times a day trying to trick my body into thinking there are more days in the week and I went to those nationals in Manchester and meddled in every event and that was when I got an email from the endurance coach asking if I wanted to go up to Manchester to try out for the team suit which is the race that I did in the Olympics Mm. and initially I call it like an x-factor elimination process there were 13 of us that started in the process I was the only one that wasn't on the program and then I was part of the team that got selected for the first world championships that won in 2011 and after that it really was you know unbelievable unbelievably fast kind of um succession of success all the way up to uh london obviously ups and downs along the way but yeah it was incredible as much as your body is the thing that cycles your mind is really the thing gearing it and you've said a few times i'm not sure why i carried on i'm not sure why i carried on (laughs) did you have a mantra was there anything that helped you during those times i've said why me a few times in my life and my dad said why not you my dad says why not you Basically, shit happens to everyone and it's the way that you deal with it that shapes, again, who you are and how successful you are. And, yeah, I just... I think another thing I would say to young people or anyone, actually, who's going through adversity or whatever it might be, setbacks, is just to not give up. And I know people say it time and time again, but for me, I wasn't actually very successful when I was younger on the bike. I wasn't really that successful in school, but what I did do was work really hard and kept going and kept going and it did pay off. So I don't think, you know, things don't just get handed to people on a plate. You have to work for things and, you know, face these knockbacks. And ultimately, these people in the British cycling team that told me that I wasn't good enough were wrong. But at the time, you know, you paint them to be, you know, God and every word that comes out of their mouth, you hold on to. 
but it's having that kind of support network outside of whatever it is you might be doing that can support you to keep going. Winning a gold in the Olympics, I can't imagine the feeling of that. Could you give us an insight? <laughs> Literally all my dreams came true on that day. Um, and to have my friends and family there, or not many friends actually, we actually struggled to get tickets, but my parents were there, essentially my sister and Matt, who's now my husband. And it was more for them as well as me. As an athlete, you have to be so selfish. And that is kind of not really in my nature. But I had to do it because I was determined to to win, I guess. But I wasn't very nice to live with in the lead up to the games. I have to be honest, you know. For example, Matt was sleeping on the floor because I was convinced that I'd get a better night's sleep without him in the bed. What did you do the night you won? (laughs) Sounds really funny, actually. Not, not not a lot, because Laura, I was sharing a room or in the apartment in the in London mm. with Laura, and she still had to compete in another event. So myself, Joanna and Laura went to the media, and once that was all finished, it was really late, and they had a, t- a thing called the Team GB house where your parents and supporters could go, and yeah, you could obviously just have a few drinks and celebrate, but ultimately I didn't want to make keep Laura awake, so I remember I went back, and I slept on Joe's floor because I had been sleeping in a room with Laura. So, yeah, not a lot of the night straight after, but the con- um, the following nights after that, just basically party every night. Yeah, did you? <laughs> yeah, I think I was actually one of the... Myself and Phil Hines, who um, was on the sprint squad, were the only ones that went out, like, every single night. We just really did make the most of it. And you told me before <laughs> we started recording that you went to a pretty celeb party. Tell me about that. Yeah, it's really actually weird to talk about it now because it was just so surreal. I remember mm. getting an invite to a Naomi Campbell fashion charity evening, I think was what I was told beforehand. Mm-hmm. And, again, the things we got to do straight after were... You know, you couldn't even, you know, dream of the different opportunities and experiences that we got straight after. Although, you know, that did come crashing crashing down and we got back on the bike soon after. But, um, yeah, so turned up at this awards, um, actually not on awards, it was a, yeah, a charity fashion event to raise money for her uh, fashion charity. And it was just a room full of people that you only ever see on a screen, essentially. So I was sat next to Kate Moss and... You know, she took my medal off and I remember her comparing, you know, my medal to Naomi Campbell's ring. And it was just one of those moments and you look around and you just pinch yourself because you never, you know, essentially I was a bike rider. I just rode a bike around in circles and then I was in this company and, you know, met. I remember Ronnie Wood was one of the nicest guys I met that night and I was lucky enough to meet um, Bruce Forsyth. Um, That was, you know, really special. And yeah, it's just, yeah, again, surreal because that's something that I never, ever, I just wanted to be fast on a bike. I wanted to be good on a bike. I never yeah. wanted to be surrounded by celebrities. You're quite into makeup. We've talked about this before. Yeah. Did you wear makeup when you were cycling? So when I was on the track, I used to wear makeup every day, all the time, really. Because what would you wear? So I would wear, actually, usually like a tinted moisturiser, so Clinique usually, and I found that that was kind of the best, you know, you didn't look like you had a full face of makeup on, essentially. Is that City Block? 
But no, no. this was a different one on right. the track. City block I used when I was on the road. So okay. we had to um, ride on the road as part of our training for the track. And then I actually changed disciplines after London 2012. I then became competitive on the road. So that's what I'd use there. And that mm-hmm. was perfect for me because it was a great way to basically put a barrier on my skin. I was training in you know zero degrees in rain or 30 degrees in the sun so it was fantastic for Mm -hmm. both sides because our skin just got so much of a battering but yeah I remember used to put I used to put makeup in in my bag and I I remember to start with I think one time I thought I'm not going to do it because I don't want to jinx it and then I regretted it forever because I didn't have any makeup to put on for the podium we go normally into like a media sort of tunnel things straight after and then you can't you don't have access to any makeup because it's literally straight from the track onto the camera Mm -hmm. so yeah again I did wear makeup when I was cycling but then if you have got a bit of time before the podium ceremony that's when I would kind of do a bit of a top up get rid of the sweaty face yeah so what Um, would you put on then I would put on basically what I wear now so foundation Mm -hmm. so wear Lancome foundation now um ultra wear which Mm -hmm. actually I've only just discovered um that foundation and absolutely love it you wear it now my stable yeah looks really good yeah yeah looks just like skin basically yeah and again for me I am all about I like good coverage but it's the natural look as well yeah but I have been so lucky to have had my makeup done obviously through the sport you Mm -hmm. know have had the chance to go on tv and do magazine shoots and things like that where you do have the opportunity or awards evenings to have your makeup done and I absolutely love it Mm -hmm. and yeah I think as well for me it's just important to get that message across that you know girls can be into sport aspire to be Olympic world champions win Wimbledon whatever it might be and still feel girly and be into makeup I think there's just a stigma and there is still a stigma that girls have to be manly and butch and muscly um, and not wear makeup to be into sport yeah I know it is annoying that whole thing it's the same as saying like women can't be into politics and or be engaged with the world if they wear makeup it's absolutely ludicrous yeah exactly and I've actually just come from um, every woman awards Mm. and it was so inspiring and again everyone just looked beautiful and again I don't think I actually listened to a few of your podcasts um, and Holly Willoughby was a really interesting one because and Davina McCall actually and they resonated with me because I don't think it necessarily I think it should just enhance how you feel I think you have to be comfortable with yourself from within Mm -hmm. um, and not use makeup as kind of a barrier or something that you feel you should have to wear Mm -hmm. but something that you love and you know, do you know what I mean? I completely. It's really I, was, hard to I was going to say the word "should" is a terrible word. Yeah, it's a terrible word in anything, but particularly in the way you look. It's it's not. If you want to wear makeup, do it. If you don't want to wear it, don't. I have another body-related question to do with sports during that time. If you get in from cycling and your muscles are sore and you're exhausted, was there anything like people sometimes talk about Epsom salts as being great? Was there anything that you would do to help your body out or to support you? Um, I used to get massage a lot and I used to like it when the massage therapist used kind of natural products mm-hmm. um, rather than, yeah, I guess any sort of deep heat type muscle. I didn't really, yeah, yeah I wasn't a massive fan. But yeah, Epsom salts were amazing and yeah, I did use those through through my career. Another one for us, which is kind of not so much of a muscle thing, but when you crash in cycling, you get really bad road rash. 
So Lucas Pawpaw was used all the time. And there was a, a Swanee, which is essentially a carer uh, in cycling. That's the word they use, a Swanee. And she always had Lucas Pawpaw. And she came from Australia. Mm-hmm. And I believe that's where it originated. It's amazing for everything. Burns, rashes, um, spots, anything. Just use it. And when you were stretching yourself out... I'm saying this to someone, my God, my sports knowledge is very minimal, but after you've cycled in your tents, are you someone who would go and do, say, a session of yoga or stretching, or was there any way that you counteracted the kind of very intense physical practice with another kind of physical activity that would slow you down a bit? Um, Do you know what? I was actually rubbish. I'm not going to lie and say, yeah, I I did a lot of yoga and stretching because I didn't. Mm. Um, It's actually something that I found now. One of my friends actually does a... yoga ability it's like a strength yoga which I absolutely love but no I was lucky in cycling where it's not an impact kind of related sport unless you crash the injuries are quite minimal so for us we were lucky to be supported with things like massage so that kind of took away the need for us to stretch Mm -hmm. a lot and I was lucky to be kind of quite a robust athlete where I wasn't hugely prone to injury I'm more prone to injury now I'm trying different things essentially I'm not a full-time athlete training Mm. for 20-25 hours a week and I'm trying to do more I guess make use of my time by doing more intense shorter workouts so 45 minutes to an hour a day max I'm actually finding that my body is changing and I have put on weight and at the start I guess I still am to a certain degree I moan about it And then people were like, but you're not an athlete anymore. And you have to, I guess, wait for your body to get used to this kind of new life that you're living now. And Mm -hmm. it is quite a, I guess it is a stress for a lot of probably more women than males coming out of professional sport. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you gauge putting on weight based on getting on the scales or looking in the mirror? Looking in the mirror. I think that's really important. I think the number on the scales shouldn't be you know you can look at it but again because muscle and fat are mm-hmm. so different mm-hmm. you know I do a lot of stuff in the gym I think it's better to just look in the mirror and if you're not happy with what you look like then essentially you can do something about it yeah I went to a gym recently and they did this that thing where they do body composition and they were like look you might not weigh an amount that terrifies you but actually the amount of fat on you should terrify yeah. you <laughs> I, like, I thought and you were going to say the other way around no. and they oh, said no. to me they were like they were like that that is quite bad I was like <laughs> and then they said but the thing is they were like don't from now on do not weigh yourself just work out because you will put on weight maybe or Mm -hmm. stay the same if you lose fat and gain muscle so like it's a complete mistake to focus on losing weight instead focus on gaining muscle and you will lose fat yeah and it's a really revelatory it is is revelatory and I so I own a coaching company now a cycling Mm -hmm. coaching company and I coach some young girls And this is what I have to tell them because, you know, there is a huge thing at the moment about body image and trying to be, you know, really skinny. But actually, it's not always about being skinny. It's about being fit and healthy. And I do think it's changing. And it's amazing that we have got more of these role models and that gym is a real fashionable thing at the moment, Mm -hmm. being fit and healthy. And it's so important because like you say, the scales, yeah, okay, there's a number on it, but actually it doesn't say much. It doesn't about you and how healthy you are. Completely. Um, You know, there's a lot of people call, you know, girls that are naturally very skinny or, you know, it's almost that 
fat skinny because they're skinny on the outside to look at but actually their insides aren't that healthy so Mm -hmm. again it's not being fixated by that number but again looking in the mirror knowing what your lifestyle is and whether you do do physical exercise whether you eat right Mm -hmm. um, and being with happy with that when you are trying to get into the headspace to do something like get on your bike and ride it in the olympics <laughs> what do you do do you listen to like the superman theme or like, <laughs> actually yeah well yeah. not superman but that kind of i guess the motivational m&m oh really like like lose, lose yourself, yourself. Yeah. that's a standard one for sport i'm sure it's on every sports person's playlist yeah and yeah so we had static bikes for warm-up mm-hmm. at the track it's very different for the road because the road was, you know, it could be four hours of racing, so it's a bit different. But the track was so intense, three minutes, 15 seconds of, of racing, so you had to be ready. And it was very much of a, you had to psych yourself to be in this mm-hmm. great space to be able to perform. So we had about, I don't know, maybe a 30-minute warm-up procedure before mm-hmm. the race where, yeah, I would pick my playlist and, and listen to it. Mm-hmm. And it would, music really helps me, I think. Yeah, I, I love music, and it gets me into a good space you know motivational type even you know chart music yeah um even you're saying that when you were describing the like it's three minutes and what was it 15 15 seconds seconds. i got that feeling you know when you have vertigo and you look down (laughs) like that really nervous thing i was just thinking my palms would be sweating so intensely i know yeah it was was intense okay yeah and did you get stage fright before was there any sense of that nervous yeah so a story from yeah before the games we went in the day before for like a warm-up test run mm-hmm. which was only a couple of laps of the of the 12 that we did but I remember Victoria Pendleton was racing and I heard the British crowd roar for the first time and it was so overwhelming that I nearly burst out crying because I remember thinking to myself how on earth am I going to get up there tomorrow and race when I can't even literally hear myself think because of this noise? It was just unbelievable. But we did a lot of work with um, psychologists, Dr. Steve Peters, who wrote The Chimp Paradox. And he always used to talk, tell us to, you can only control the controllables, focus on what you can control rather than, you know, asking the questions, what if we win? What if we'd lose? What if we crash? You know, they're the things that are out of your control. What you can focus on is uh, the technicalities of the bike ride. So what we did day in, day out, being as close to the wheel in front as you could be, because that meant you were as aero as you could be, essentially, and give more power to the front of the of the line of cyclists when you were riding. And that really helped because I thought, yeah, you know, we've been doing this day in, day out. So we had to kind of get ourselves into a space where it wasn't the Olympic final and we could just perform to the best of our ability. Easier said than done, but somehow managed to do it. I'm, I'm amazed that you're sitting here and you seem so like normal and human and yet you did this, t- something that to me is completely like beyond the scope of imagination. I couldn't do it at all. And then you went on to do something else that was extraordinary. You were put on the New Year's Honours list 2013 and now you're an MBE. <laughs> yeah, and again, it was almost like the whole Naomi Campbell, Kate Moss situation. Mm-hmm that it's something that you never even think about and you're just kind of honoured. But you just ask the question, why me? You know, you don't really feel like you necessarily deserve it. I All I did was worked hard at something that I love doing. 
you did something that's astonishing and pushed your body to the absolute, you know, max of its ability and did something that's incredible. That's really inspiring. That's something that should be awarded and I think should be recognised and gives you the platform. You know, I mean, you had the platform anyway, but to have that MBE stamp, it does give you the extra, I don't want to say cachet, but it's kind of, you know, it's quite, it's quite exciting. I think I'd go to dinner parties and be like, hi, I'm Danny Rowe, MBE. You do that. No, oh, damn it. Absolutely not. That's such a terrible shame, so wasted. Anyway, um, tell me about the day though. How was it? Yeah, it was incredible. And I remember thinking, oh, I hope it's the queen. I hope it's the queen. Was it the queen? Yeah, it was. And I've got this picture and it's so nice. And it's kind of the back of me receiving the MBE and the front of the queen. And it was just, yeah, a really special day that my parents and my sister came to do they have official photographers do those pictures yeah so oh, you, yeah, you, you can't take pictures <laughs> you can't just <laughs> quick selfie yeah excuse me queenie can yeah. i just have a quick selfie? actually you're not allowed to ask the queen questions oh you know no no one's allowed to ask the queen a question or well, that's what we were told anyway um you're allowed to answer obviously but you have to be addressed by her what did she ask you she asked me she asked me if i'd been cycling recently i think do you remember what she um, smelled like? Like, did she have a perfumey <laughs> oh, smell? Um, I've never met the Queen, you see, and I'd quite like... Because everyone says she's got amazing skin. That's it. Yeah, she looked incredible. Yeah. Um, very small. Very tiny. I'm quite tall, so... Yeah. But no, I can't actually remember. That's a really good question. Okay. I feel like I didn't go into it and think, right, I'm going to give her a good sniff. <laughs> give her a sniff. <laughs> That's what I would like. do if I ever meet the Queen, just putting it out there for an MBE for services to podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> I will give her a good sniff. You mentioned before we started that most of the income for a sports person comes not from the sport itself, but from the advertising around it and from advertisers. And that means that your image and you are inextricably linked and also quite important to your financial situation. Yeah, massively. Um, I think, you know, if you look at the likes of Maria Sharapova and tennis, I remember when I came into the sport, oh, I can't even remember who it was that told me someone at an event, oh, sex sales would you do a naked photo shoot? I actually got asked to do an FHM shoot, which I declined. And I think it's about getting a balance, you know, essentially, like you just said, a lot of our work or all of it, well, no, we got, um, so we got lottery funding and a bit of prize money, which was essentially from the governing body. Mm-hmm. And is again, that, what, how much the, is that? Does that equate to a salary? Not the, um, yeah. So the A funding was 27,000 okay. a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and then everything else over and above. And that's only if you win, um, if you're a podium in the world championships. Okay. So it's only for a year at a time. Um, and everything else is, um, off the bike which is quite different to our male kind of counterparts especially on the road so for example my equivalent on the road would have been earning probably a million pounds and I was on 40,000 euros as a kind of comparison for salary so for me you know if I wanted to earn more than that you know sports people have a really short career so it's really important to try and do as well as you can early we had to go out or you know I'm talking we as my female colleagues um and find work outside of the sport which was things like ambassador contracts with different brands and companies which I really really enjoyed doing um because it meant I could meet other people got get involved in other lines of work and but at the time it was hard because you had to weigh up whether that was worth it because essentially the days that you would be doing that would be your rest days mm-hmm. and then as a consequence you're not resting and then would that affect performance so it was quite hard but again, back to image, it was really, really important for us because ultimately if we were going to be on 
a billboard or an ad, um, an advert campaign, then yeah, we felt mm. we had to, or we did, we had to look good. What does that mean to you? Did it mean that you felt more that you should maybe do your hair every now and then or do your makeup or how yeah. did that manifest? I guess it was a thing, you know, like we touched on before that, you know, to wear makeup on the bike or to have, you know, do your hair a bit better than mm. when you just pull an aero helmet on and it's stuck to your head for the podium. Right. But I was always like that. I liked yeah, so it, it anyway. So for me, it yeah. wasn't really a, f- I, a factor that I had to do it. I'd mm. always been into it. You know, I wore makeup to school. Like I said, I like going out. Mm. Um, you know, I remember asking for makeup products for birthday, for Christmas. Mm. So it was always kind of a part of me anyway. But I think for some people, for some women... It wasn't, mm-hmm. but then they did feel like they maybe had to because of yeah. different situations like, you know, social media or trying to get work outside of purely your performance. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. You had a massive crash in 2014. <laughs> I've got here that you snapped your ribcage and collapsed your lungs. So that is not a a Lucas Pawpaw situation. <laughs> no, that was gonna, that wasn't going to solve my ten broken ribs. What happened? Um, I was out on a normal training ride with a group of people and the guy who was riding in front of me hit a pothole that was covered in water. He didn't see it and he crashed in front of me. I had nowhere to go. I went over my handlebars. Initially, when you crash, because it happens quite a lot in cycling, you kind of assess yourself really quickly. Like, have I broken anything? And I actually remember initially when I hit the floor, I thought, oh, I've come off lightly here. And it must have literally been about a second later where an ex-rugby player over 100 kilos rode into my back and basically that impact broke 10 ribs and my rib uh, punctured my lung. So yeah, I was in intensive care for a few days and then in hospital for a few weeks. During that time, were you thinking your career might be over? Initially, when I was on the floor, I remember thinking I'm never going to get on a bike again. But it must have literally been the day after I got out of intensive care that I was asking the physio. So bearing in mind I had chest drain in and I just had an epidural taken out. Um, If I could go down to the gym in the hospital 
and get on a gym bike, which I did. So I think I just, the nurses and doctors must have looked at me and thought, what, this is, you know, what is this weirdo doing? You know, she's got a chest drain hanging out of her chest. She's just had a horrific accident on her bike and she's asking to go on a gym bike in the hospital. Do you think that was for you a sort of way of still feeling like you? Because was your identity so tied to what you could do with your Um, body I don't know if it was much about identity but I was just convinced I needed to get back on the bike Mm -hmm. and I and even now to be honest and I'm struggling to get out of it is I'm addicted to exercise and I feel guilty if I don't do it every day Mm -hmm. so if I don't yeah if I don't exercise I'll feel feel guilty and I'm I'm getting there with it and you know I allow myself more than one day off a week now which I didn't do at the start but I think when I was when I crashed, I hadn't stopped my cycling career and I wasn't ready to stop. I still wanted to mm-hmm. achieve more in the sport. So it was a case of I've got to get back on my bike as quickly as possible. Otherwise, I'm going to lose days. 2018, you quit this time last year. Yeah. What was your thinking in the lead up to that? And how <laughs> did you feel about it? Um, so the Commonwealth Games was the only major medal that I didn't have and I won a bronze medal in the Commonwealth Games at the beginning of 2018. And I remember thinking before the Commonwealth Games, if I win a medal, then I'm going to stop there and then I'm done, I'm happy. But I'd actually signed for a Dutch team and I was loving it. I loved the pro- I was loving the process. And in cycling, the season runs from around February to September. So I thought I'd put all this training in in the winter. I'm not going to stop now. This is April. I'm going to see the season out and then I'll stop. So that's what I did. So I had a really successful year, which is a bit weird because I guess there were a lot of questions asked as to why I stopped when I did. But I'm so content that I did. So I stopped after the World Championships in Innsbruck in September mm-hmm. 2018. And I just wanted to go out on a high. I think throughout my whole career, I'd had so many people tell me that I wasn't good enough, that I wanted to stop and think, you know, I still love the sport. I never wanted to get to a place where I hated the sight of a bike. Essentially, a lot of the stuff I do now is in the sport. So Mm -hmm. I didn't want to, you know, never want to see a bike again. Mm -hmm. And again, I'd achieved everything and more that I'd ever dreamt of. And I think a lot of sports people just go on and on and their performances decline and then it's actually a really hard place to be in for an athlete you hear of a lot of athletes struggling out of retirement but but I think because I was so content with the decision um I've yeah I've had a great year so no it's it's fab I still love cycling addicted to exercise um but I'm yeah, I feel really happy and, and blessed with what I did through my career. So what does life look like now? What are you doing for a job? <laughs> a lot of different things. Um, again, run... So Rowan Kings, our cycle coaching company, which my husband, Matt Rowe, started a few years ago alongside his brother, Luke, who rides for Team Ineos, and their dad, Courtney, who is one of the best cycling coaches. Um and it's now nice for me to get more involved with the company. We do training camps and rides in the UK and or um, bespoke cycling coaching. That's our main thing. We coach people all over the world that just wanted to want to be better cyclists, not essentially an Olympic champion, but people that just want to be have a program for cycling. So I do a lot of that and then uh, media. So I've had the opportunity to do some commentating and yeah, media work, which I've absolutely loved ambassador roles so mm-hmm. I've had a few contracts with different brands this year which I've loved being a part of 
doing different things. And yeah, it's been amazing. It's exciting. I just remember going into kind of, I guess this time last year and thinking, Mm. I'm just going to take every opportunity I can. I'm going to just say yes to everything and suss out what it is that I really like doing. And actually, I think it was Matt actually who asked me a few days ago, so like, what do you want to do next year? Like, what was it that you enjoyed? And I think it is literally fair to say everything. I loved the variety. I think that is what I thrive on. I wouldn't, mm-hmm. I wouldn't cope very well in a sort of nine to five role doing one thing. I can't do it. No. And I just love the. Everyone says you're always so busy, but actually, I, I am, but I'm not. I think because I do so many different things, it looks like that I, I am super, super busy. But I, yeah, I, I love it. Do you, so, are you quite structured in your day? Yeah, I'm the most organised person ever. If I were to root around in your skincare cupboard and your cosmetics cupboard and your makeup bag, what would I always find in there? Bobby Brown Smoky Eye Mascara. I've got loads of them. It's like my go-to. Are those your natural lashes, by yeah. the way? They're really long. Is that what you're wearing now? Yeah. Yeah, it's great. I mean, I love that mascara, but yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's my go-to. And then recently discovered Blink Brow Bar. Mm-hmm. So I think brows can just change your face so much. Like, it's incredible. I used to be actually, if I've got mascara on, if, if I could only wear one thing, it would have been mascara. But I feel like now brows is kind of getting up there towards the whole mascara mm. thing. Because if your brows are good, then I yeah. feel like you can just face the day. It's like framing the eyes, yeah, isn't exactly. it? Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, Blink Brow so do you have your eyebrows threaded the gel yeah so have them threaded but then they do i like the whole bushy eyebrow look at the moment so i'm loving their kind of gel that they've got Mm -hmm. out so i'm I'm was it got color in is it that colored one yeah Yeah. so you just rate that through i actually use the gel first Mm -hmm. and then i put the color over the top because the gel almost almost like hair gel it's like it sets your eyebrows yeah um and then yeah you put the color over the. yes you're building it quite a lot yeah what else do you like so, the, yeah, Lancome foundation that I've been using, Charlotte Tilbury blush, I mm-hmm. guess you'd call it. It's like a bronze slash blush. I'm not a massive, like, blushy person. Is it I'm the one that's, like, one colour around yes, the outside and, and, and in the middle? Yeah. yeah. But in, in a brownie colour. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I love that. Urban Decay palettes always. For, Naked. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and skincare again i've used a lot of bobby brown um because of the association we've had and i've mm-hmm. always just love it mm-hmm. what else do i use perfume joe malone pomegranate noir me and my husband actually share and another one that i've got recently is poppy and barley mm-hmm. i actually smelled on someone at an event and i was like what are you wearing because that is amazing yeah. um but yeah joe malone's my go-to perfume for yeah. sure yeah yeah, yeah, I can't walk past Mac Velvet that, Teddy lipstick, which I don't have on today. Yeah, but I feel like so many people just love it, and they're like, "Is that Velvet Teddy?" And I'm like, "Yeah." And I wore that on my wedding day. I was so lucky that I had a Bobby Brown makeup team at the wedding who did nice. my makeup and the girls' makeup. So my mum and everyone, even to this day, said they just felt amazing. They just loved it. Mm. so that was really nice There's something about getting your makeup done by someone else who knows what they're doing it just makes you feel really special doesn't it yeah yeah, yeah. right I have three questions to ask you oh, before I let no. you go that you're a bit nervous about <laughs> don't be won an Olympic gold you're fine <laughs> greatest triumph professional or personal um I'll get well professional has to be London 2012 Olympics personal getting married 
because mm -hmm. yeah I just married my best friend we've been together for since I was like 18 and he's just supported me through so much already I feel like I'm only 29 but yeah. we've had to go through so much together already what do you think the secret to keeping a relationship healthy and having a long marriage is if indeed there is one knowing that it's not perfect I think that's really important uh, that the grass isn't greener and that you have to work at it no relationship's perfect at all we argue um, but we communicate a lot and I think that's the key mm -hmm. advice to your younger self at any point in your life you don't have to win everything. You just need to keep working hard and then you can achieve anything that you set your heart on with the right support. I think, you know, if you've got the support from parents or others around you, then you can achieve whatever you want. Sounds like your younger self managed to come to that without even being told by your older self. Though. <laughs> like You kind of knew that inside yourself. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. If you're having a dinner party and you could invite three people dead or alive, who would they be? I mean, obviously, if they were dead, they would be alive. Yeah. <laughs> I realise I phrased that in quite an odd way. Yeah. Good question. Cameron Diaz, I think. Because? I just love... But they say don't meet your he like heroes. Not she's a hero. I actually met someone, and I'm not going to name her, in the sporting world, and it was a classic case of don't meet your heroes oh. because I was really sad... Um, I met my hero though, um, Kylie Minogue, and it was wonderful. Was it? Yeah, oh, she came on the podcast and she was a dream. Wow, yeah, amazing. So, so I, I mean, from my experience, yeah, that definitely is meet your yeah, heroes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Cameron Diaz, because yeah. I just love every film that she's in and I feel like she's just amazing. Um, two, I love music. Maybe Beyonce, actually. I feel like she'd be fab. Um, or, or Lady Gaga, because she's... They're very different though, Beyonce and Lady yeah. Gaga. I feel like Beyonce would probably come and be quite fun but quite regal. I feel like Lady Gaga is quite open and maybe more willing to chat, if you know what I mean. Yeah, totally. Yeah. We'll go with Gaga. Depends then. what you're going with. Yeah, we'll yeah. go with Gaga and yeah. like to chat. Because I think you could chat to her late into the night and I think she'd really talk about stuff. You know? Yeah, that would be yeah. cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then three, oh. Um... We're going quite celebby. So. So far. Yeah, let's not go celebi for the third. Oh, this is a tough question. Maybe a sport, sporting hero. Uh, maybe Serena Williams, actually. She's just done incredible things in sport. She's now a mum, which is really inspiring as well, and mm -hmm. still playing sport. And I do feel like she'd be a great chatter as well. Yeah, so um, there we go. are you a good cook? I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm good, but I wouldn't say I'm bad. I do enjoy it if I've got the time. Mm -hmm. I'm not a baker, that's for sure. My best friend, Becky, she's very good at baking and she's an Olympic cyclist as well. And it was a nightmare because when we were training, I'd get back from training and she would have baked all these amazing things and wow. I couldn't resist. So yeah. I'd just be eating them. Um, I do enjoy cooking, yeah. I, I wouldn't make? cook for them though. That would be what really would scary. Oh. Did you have a caterer? What? Yeah, I'd go for a caterer. Right, you keep it classy, sure. kind of have yeah. people serve. I'd, I'd yeah. do like hospitality, I'd entertain, I'd pick the playlists, mm -hmm. I'd decorate. I like doing that, mm -hmm. but I wouldn't cook. I'd take that pressure away from yeah, me. Yeah, completely. <laughs> you probably put all your focus on like getting ready. That would be yeah, terrifying exactly. crowd. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a pretty big dinner party. Thank you so much for coming Thanks on the for show.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 